0: We are in the book of Acts, we're in Acts 21, and we're going to be covering um, a pretty, pretty good piece of scripture today, but we're not going to be reading the whole thing. At this point in the, in the narrative, uh, it's, it's pretty much a story about Paul running for his life, more or less, or finding ways to stay alive a little bit longer, because he is being severely uh, persecuted both by his fellow Jews and then by the, by the state, by Rome as well. And we know uh, from history that Paul finishes his earthly ministry in Rome uh, by being put to death for, for Christ, something that he did not shy away from, which we'll see in today's passage. So as I was praying about uh, the sermon today and thinking about this big section of Scripture, I asked God to kind of show me what, what is the topic from here that we should look at today. And that's kind of how I went about it. And, uh, and it really came down to uh, this idea of calling And, you know, Paul was someone that was called, and that's what got him through what he went through. I'm going to highlight a few scriptures, a few sections of this story to show you uh, what I mean by that. But as far as calling, if if any of you know me, you know that this is a big topic for me. So people in the office know that calling is a big topic for me. And I think that biblically, uh, every person is called in two ways. And oftentimes, these, these callings get confused, uh, because people usually think of their calling as being their job or something that they do. But biblically, calling starts with who you are. And that's what I call the primary calling that we have in Christ. And this is something that I encourage each of you to meditate on and think about and take away from this service as kind of a kind of homework, if you haven't already. But our primary calling, the first thing that we're called to as Christians is uh, who does God say we are? Who does God say we are in his powerful word, the Bible? As Christians, that is our primary calling. It's not how do you feel about yourself today. How many people are feeling wicked awesome today? Completely amazing. Some people are, it's fine. <laughs> That's good, but not all of us are. It's not a question of how are you performing today. This week, this month, this year, the last five years, since you, you know, had kids, since your kids left the house, it's not about your performance. It's not, are you doing all or some of the right things in life? Are you nailing this thing? Primary calling is, who does God say we are in the scriptures? And everything that we do, secondarily to that primary calling, flows from those realities of who God says we are. So it's very important that we renew our minds with what the Bible says about who we are in Christ. And this is something Paul was a master of. Especially, we, we went through the book of Ephesians in, in church, and I thought about it this week. And, uh, and Paul, I'll just pull up that scripture. In Ephesians 1, 7. Look at how solid this, this teaching is from Paul, talking about who we are in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The key phrase in that is in him. In him, all of these things are a reality. It's not, you know, if you try hard enough, then you will be in Christ. But in him, we just have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. the praise of God's glory. You hear that phrase in him over and over and over again in there. And it goes, it talks about all these blessings that we have in Christ. And at the end it says, he is, in him we have this deposit of the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of our, of our redemption. And, all, and that question of who we are in God is separate from the question of performance. It's what God says about us. And we have to take time to look at what the Bible says about us. Because anything, everything that we do in life flows out of that identity we have in God. And if we ever get it twisted, if we ever think that we're defined by our career, by our family or lack of family, by our friends or lack of friends, by our, our accomplishments or lack of accomplishments, whether we define ourselves as a winner or a loser in all these areas, if we ever get it twisted and start doing that, we're going to... We're going to crash and burn. We have to start with what God says and go from there. Can we agree with that? It's, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, I love this, uh, this passage from Romans 4. And he, he says this thing about God. He is the God who gives life to, to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So that's who God is. And through God's powerful word, it's, it's a much stronger louder voice than any of the things we put on ourselves or other people put on us. And God calls these things out of us as we place ourselves in faith in that new identity we have in Christ, that we are new creatures in him. Uh, Years ago, I did um, a little bit of writing about my identity in Christ because I wanted to really uh, solidify these ideas in my own mind and heart of what the Bible says. So... um, I kind of took scripture and I made it personal for me. Isaiah 43, one through three. But now this is what the Lord says. He he who created you, Nathan, he who formed you, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God called me by his grace, Galatians 1.15, and redeemed me from a place of death, Psalm 49.15, and set his favor and anointing on my life, 1 John 2.27. God has redeemed my life from the pit and crowned me with his love and compassion, Psalm 103.4. I have not only believed these truths abstractly, but I have experienced them. I have accepted by faith that God loves me dearly as his Son, First John 3, 1 John 3.1, and I'm convinced of his great faithfulness to me in life, despite my unfaithfulness to him at times. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.13, that his gifts, call, and favor are irrevocable. Romans 11.29, I love God and have experienced his redemption from all of the foolish mistakes I've made and continue to make as I move along in my journey. Romans 8.28, this was when I was still making mistakes a while ago. So see what I'm saying here? This is our primary calling. Uh, though I stumble, I am on a trajectory of sanctification and can honestly say that by God's grace and strength, I have slowly and intentionally progressed towards the prize which God has called me heavenward. Um, I will continue walking this path until the day I meet him face to face and know even as I'm fully known by him. First 1 Corinthians 13.12 The things the Bible says about us, the things that God says to us in his word, the Bible, have to form what our primary calling is in life. I'm called to God. It's not about what I do. I'm called to him. And these truths are my reality. And that is what Paul lived in. It was a really cool thing. So that's our primary calling. And I really encourage you even like to go even on to something like Google and type out verses about our identity in Christ. I have a chapter in a book that is excellent about who we are in God. And I will send that to you, but it's so important that we personalize our identity in God and let everything else flow from that and not get it twisted. So once once we've done that, we we get to this, this secondary calling, and this is what people usually think of when they think of primary calling. The secondary calling is the thing that only you are responsible to know and do in your life. It's the thing that God's called you to do as a unique individual with unique gifts a unique temperament, unique uh, education and background and experiences. And it's something that God is calling you to do in your life in general. And that's something you are responsible to figure out and do, right? And it's not, uh, again, coming from that place of acceptance and love that we find in our primary calling. It's not something that's meant to be burdensome. But God wants to reveal to us his will for our lives and use us in a very purposeful way. If you've read Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, You've explored this, this thought. And that book was criticized quite a bit when it came out by different uh, Christians. <laughs> it's the first time that that's ever happened. But, um, but you know, the, 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 the fear was, this book makes it all about us. What can we do for God? And I understand that uh, we shouldn't let anything fall too much on us and what, and what we do. But the truth is that there is truth that God has a purpose for every life that he creates. And God has a unique calling for each of us that we live out in our lives. It's true. It's not all about us. It's all about him. We are made for his glory, which I think the book actually articulates pretty well. (laughs) Um, Man, people can be so critical of different books. But uh, the point is, we've all been made in this kind of unique way. And as I was, was thinking about, you know, my secondary calling, after I thought about my primary calling to, to God and in Christ from the Bible, uh, I was, I, I began to think about my life and everything I'd been through and what, what I'd done and, and from working in uh, summer camp, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, working uh, in... The college setting when I was teaching, uh, teaching some college students supplemental instruction while I was still a student at the time, from uh, things I did in the church, from my time working at Dick's Sporting Goods across the street as the maintenance guy, from my time working at Walmart Distribution Center in Johnstown, New York before I uh, came into the ministry. What has God called me to do that has characterized me every step of the way was the question. And God really brought me to a place where I understood, you know, what my calling was. In every, in every one of those contexts, I had, uh, I had been interested and very concerned about the personal and spiritual growth of the people around me. That was something that was a burning passion for me. And not all of you are the same as me. It doesn't need to be your calling. But for me, you know, God really defined my calling as to, uh, to promote personal and spiritual growth for all the people around me, especially those who are suffering. And the time I was working at Walmart, you know, I was able to talk to people, get to know people, lead people to Christ. Um, the time I was working at Dick's Sporting Goods, and even to the present day, even as a pastor, I can still do that, believe it or not. But the point is, this calling, this secondary calling, this kind of mission, is, is something that's very personal. It's something that only I am responsible to fulfill. No one else has to fulfill that for me. It's something I have to understand and go for, and, and guide my life in such a way that I do it. And uh, and depending on the context in which you find yourself, you can be you you can, you can make that more effective or less effective. But you try to put yourself in a position to live your calling as much as possible. Uh, one of my most one, one of the families that inspires me the most. Uh, I don't think anyone knows no, knows them here, but. Um, even thinking about them just is very touching to me. The, the, uh, my friend's mother is a believer, is a, lo- a lovely, amazing person uh, who's, who's one of those people they just feel like they like me, they accept me, they're making me a cup of coffee, we're going to sit and talk, it's an awesome thing. Very merciful, loving person, right? But her calling is to, um, that she's received from God, is to um, take in Hospice kids, you know, kids that are going to die. So over the years, they've just adopted these kids. One after the other. And I got, I got an opportunity to be a part of uh, one of their lives when I was working at Walmart Distribution Center and, um Little Hopi. But she ended up passing away, and I got to be a part of her funeral and be one of the pallbearers. But she was only nine years old. But, uh, but again, a, a beautiful girl... A beautiful family, a beautiful calling that they do. Is that an easy calling? No. But they do it because it's what God's called them to, and they love it. You can suffer greatly doing a calling. Not me, because being a pastor, there's no suffering. It's all just, it's all just a walk in the park here. Uh, it doesn't. There, there's suffering. You might even know that it's not going to be sustainable. Like Paul, you might know you might lose your life at some point doing it, but it's your calling. It's what God's called you to do. And I do believe that everyone, every person, is responsible to first just personalize our identity in Christ and know who they're called to and who they are in Christ, and then to seek him and say, you know, what, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? Um, And and to go through a process with God where we seek after him and say, God, in all of my life, what are you calling me to do? So I can really be fruitful and effective for you. And, you know, at any point in our life, we might not know exactly what that is, um, but we can approximate, I think that at this point in my life, I think this is what God's calling me to and go for it. Uh, Paul is someone who demonstrated a profound ability to stick to his calling despite very difficult circumstances. And that's what I noticed the most in these uh, three chapters of Scripture. Uh, And again, this is Paul. Paul is spending a lot of time sort of running for his life uh, in a way. And you see he's arrested. He's set free. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. There's a plot to kill him. It's just cycling through at this point, happening over and over again. But there's some really interesting things in here that show just what a sense of calling he had and even what his calling was so the first part of this i want to bring uh, attention to is chapter 21 verse 4 it says we saw out the disciples there and stayed with them 7 days through the spear they urged paul not to go to jerusalem when it was time to leave we left and continued on our way this is a very curious passage uh we sought out the disciples Luke is, is, is at this point including himself in the story. He's saying, I was there. And if Luke was there, chances are there were other close associates of Paul there with them as well. So Paul, his closest associates, including Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, and uh, they, they found these disciples and saved with them. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So these are people that, they, they received a prophetic insight. And Paul had, had received prophecies before from people along the way and received them and followed them. He'd done that. So it's not like he didn't think they were hearing from God. Uh, but but uh, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then verse 5 is kind of funny. And when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. <laughs> Apparently, they took the, Paul took the warning into consideration and he kept moving. Uh, what, what I really felt was very... Impactful about that is that he was so sure of what he was doing that even with a warning like that, he kept moving in his calling. Uh, and notice it doesn't say that uh, the spirit, um, you know, told them, told Paul, you should not go. They they received some kind of negative prophecy, like something is going to happen, and we don't want we your friends do not want you to go. You know, that's that's definitely how I interpret that. Uh, being with those disciples, and then through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Um, and, and you'll see later in verse 10 how I'm sort of uh, explaining that. It says, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, Agabus was a a prophet who had a pretty significant role in the early church. He was, had a very a- accurate ability to hear from God. This prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, this is like an Old Testament type of prophecy, you know? The Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they would often act out a prophecy. They would say, you know, in, in the same way that I'm, you know, setting up this, this brick and I'm crushing it with my foot, or whatever it might be, you know, this is what God is going to do. It's a symbolic prophetic action. And this guy, Agabus, was very much in this same kind of school of prophecy. And he took Paul's belt and, and said, the Holy Spirit says, now this is a direct word from God, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So these, these believers earlier in chapter 21, it's not that they weren't hearing a warning from God there was a warning all right. Something bad is going to happen. And everyone who was with Paul, including his close associates, didn't want to see him suffer or die, and so they were warning him not to go. But again, there's no no direction here that says, therefore, you shouldn't go. The Holy Spirit says this is going to happen. Continuing in verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Pleaded with him. So, all of his closest friends, all of these people pleading with him not to go forward. And Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. I would like to have friends like that. These are people that are concerned for Paul, that love Paul, they've heard from the Holy Spirit what's going to happen, they don't want Paul to be. Uh, to be in harm's way. But even with their weeping and their crying, and he even says they're breaking his heart, like, come on, you're breaking my heart here. Paul says, uh, I am not, I'm ready not only to be bound, like Agabus has done with this belt, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This is a strong sense of calling, people. A strong sense of calling. He knew what he was called to do in particular. And actually, I find it very interesting. In in, uh, chapter 22, uh, 10 to 15, he actually recounts the story of his calling. So we get to see what is driving him to be so forceful in what he's doing. And I'll start in actually verse 6, 22, 6. Uh, He's recounting to the crowd that he's speaking to about his calling. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. This is Paul's calling, to be a witness to all people about what he's seen and heard in Christ. And it was this calling that kept him plowing forward in the face of great danger. There's, there's another uh, part of Acts, I think, earlier in this uh, narrative when God actually says of Paul, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. It was, it was kind of a calling for Paul. I, there's going to be suffering, but you are going to be the one to witness to all people, Jews and non-Jews, of what you've seen and heard. You are my chosen vessel, Be confident moving forward. So as I'm reading this this passage in in, in chapter 22, I'm thinking back to chapter 21, these two prophecies that were so foreboding and his friends begging him with tears not to go and his closest associates and disciples all begging him not to go. And And I think Paul had this in mind as he speaks to the crowd. I can't help but think that as he reaffirms, this is what God's called me to do. He's almost preaching to himself to keep himself going, to remember the prize that he's moving towards. And then we see in, uh, in verse 23, uh, Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin once again to be questioned, interrogated, and, uh, and Paul says this to the Sanhedrin. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. He had such a sense that he was doing the right thing that he, just, he, he was just living in that moment at this point. He couldn't think, he, he couldn't think to himself, at this moment, a time when he took God's big calling on his life to, to share the word with all people, uh, he couldn't think of a time when he hadn't been faithful to do it. He even pushed through the most difficult barriers to get there. So this is an amazing journey of faith. Paul just, just living in this, uh, in this absolute certainty of his calling and plowing forward uh, despite a lot of roadblocks. And then something Tremendous happens. Something that doesn't happen too terribly often. In verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near to Paul. Think about that. The Lord himself came to Paul and stood near to him. And he said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome Paul hadn't gotten it wrong this whole time, despite all the warnings, despite all the prophecies of danger, despite having to push through uh, his friends trying to block him from having pain enter his life and suffering. Um, Paul had not got it wrong. He had been following the calling the Lord gave him, and the Lord uh, took it upon himself to come near to Paul, not only to come near, but to reaffirm this calling. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And Rome, my friends, is where Paul loses his life. This is the calling that drove Paul and drove him uh, to get through great obstacles. And I think that same sense of calling is what gets us uh, to in, both into the ministry God has for us as individuals, and perhaps as families, perhaps as a church, and sustains us in that ministry. My first uh, month of seminary, you get, you get to the school where they train you to be a pastor and all that kind of stuff. And I was recounting this story the other day to somebody. The professor comes out, and he said, over the next week, you need to ask yourself if you are called to be a pastor. He said, and you need to have a definite understanding whether God's called you to that or not. If it's just something you want to do or something you think you'd be good at and you're just going into it, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing it. So I want you to drop out of seminary if you don't feel that sense of calling. He was that stalwart in that. And that was a little jarring for me, you know? I really had to do some soul searching and ask God, you know, looking at my history, looking at my past, looking at all I've been through, is this what you're calling me to? And the answer was, for me, was Yes. But that sense of call is so important because when you lose or forget your calling, when things get difficult, you fall apart, right? But when you know your calling, you know what God's called you to do in life, you can get through anything. And eventually, Christ Himself will affirm to you that you are on the right path despite all of the, the, the pain and suffering and danger you're into. So, this morning, as the worship team comes, uh, we're going to be singing this song, Jesus All for Jesus, one of our favorites. And I want you to think about, first, your primary calling. What has God, what, who am I in Christ? My primary calling is to God. Who am I? Who does the Bible say I am? And if you haven't really answered that fully and you're still living in this dissonance of not, not really feeling sure of who you are in Christ, it's time to go into the Scriptures and look at those passages and personalize them to yourself and understand that who you are in God. And from that, and if you're already in this place where you understand who you are in Christ, but you don't really have a sense of calling or or direction for yourself or know, you know, how does God want to use me? You know, this is a time to seek after God and ask him for wisdom. Uh, The Bible says that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God. Unless they're double-minded and they don't really care to hear the answer or they aren't willing to follow him if he does speak to them, then they shouldn't expect to hear from him. But if you're sincere and you really want to know, God, what are you calling me to do? You know, ask him. And begin a journey where you find the thing God's calling you to do. Because I firmly believe that when you find that, that, that sweet spot, um, you, can be, you can be so much more fruitful for God. You can be so much more fulfilled in your life. And even if things get really difficult and there's suffering and pain, as in the case of my friends who, who have that ministry to those children, uh, you can get through it. Because it's what God's called you to do. And His Word trumps everything else. Let's offer ourselves in surrender. Heavenly Father, each of us is so thankful that we've been called to you, um, called by name, that we've been forgiven of our sins, that we've been redeemed and made a new creation in Christ that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We offer ourselves once again to you, God, recognizing that you pursued us first. And I pray that for every person here that you would give us a renewed sense of purpose as we hear from your Holy Spirit, as we seek your face, and and really find that place where you've called us to serve and to minister uh, so we can maximize uh, our, our effectiveness for your kingdom to use the gifts that you've given us wisely and to multiply the investment you've made in us for the blessing of others and for the expansion of your kingdom. We praise your name. We thank you for this opportunity to draw near to you. Uh, Let us hear your voice today and this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Getting started, class, in the room right there after service. Uh, For the rest of you folks, you are dispersed. Go and be the church.